Hello and welcome to the Jazz Jam Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Gunnels, joined by my co-host, Max Levy. And on this week's episode, we have a really fun episode coming for you. It is going to be our, finally, our Grammy preview, predictions, talk everything Grammys, Jazz Grammys, that is, this week. Um, So really excited to get into a lot of these things. There's some interesting interesting stuff going on with these nominations we're definitely going to get really deep into that um but just super exciting we're taking a week off of actually reviewing an album and we're going to kind of just go through a whole bunch of albums in a a more light-hearted you know conversational matter here so yeah it's going to be cool and we'll make our picks for what we think should win every single grammy um we said we were going to be doing the samara joy linger a while album before the grammys but we decided instead of putting that in this episode out in the same week that it might be a little bit too much we're going to do this episode first and then after the grammys where next week we're gonna be gonna be doing samara joy's album linger a while so definitely you're gonna want to check that one out um and we'll get into that one a little bit on on this episode here um, but yeah, Max, are you ready to get into to all the Grammy talk we've got going on today? I think I'm ready. I think there's a lot to talk about. There's also some disappointments we're going to share with the listening audience that, um, you know, we're going to be candid. We're going to be honest. We're going to be as true as we can be. We're, we're going to be respectful. I think there's a lot of things to discuss. There seems to be a lot of uh, repeating of nominations from the Grammys that seems a little bit concerning. I always wonder, you know, there's always somebody else on the scene. There's always somebody else to listen to. There's always up and comers. There's always older cats who put out new things as well. And I, I think we need to, in general, diversify the uh, the pool from which we are nominating in these categories. And we're going to get into that a little bit more as we go but i think we're gonna do some interesting conversation here we're getting into three of the five categories number one being best improvised jazz solo number two being the best um are we doing the best vocal or the best instrumental after that we'll do best vocal and then we'll cap it off with the best instrumental all right well there you go so um it's going to be an interesting topic of discussion here i think we're just going to get right into the best improvised jazz solo. What do you say? Any uh, any opening thoughts before we get into the music? No, I think we'll just we'll just run with it, and uh, as things come up, we can kind of talk about them. Um, I want to mention all of the nominations for best improvised solo um, before we get into the first one. So the nominations for best improvised jazz solo with the twenty twenty three Grammys are. Ambrose Akimusire on Rounds from Terry Lynn Carrington's New Standards Volume 1, an album that we did on the podcast, and also an album that is up for Best Instrumental Album. Um, The second solo is Gerald Albright on Keep Holding On, um, which is from Hank Bilal's The Black Aquarius. Then we've got John Beasley on Cherokee slash Coco, um, which is from Bird Lives. It's like a... um, a live album with a big band. And then we've got uh, Melissa Aldana on Falling from her album 12 Stars. And then Marcus Baylor on the tune Call of the Drum from the Baylor Project's album um, The Evening Live at the Apparatus, which is up for Best Vocal 
um, album. And then lastly, we have Leo Giovanese and Wayne Shorter on the tune Endangered Species from the album uh, Live at the Detroit Jazz Festival, which is up for Best Instrumental. So there's there's a lot of overlap here with a lot of the nominations. Some of our solos are coming from albums that are nominated for vocal or instrumental album. But let's get into the the first one, Max, with Ambrose Akinmusire's solo on Rounds. Yeah, it, it's kind of like a free jazz it is a free jazz composition and and ambrose does a lot of things in this solo we talked about it a little bit before when we discussed this album on an episode of the jazz jam i think in general ambrose akinmusire delivers a, a great range on the trumpet a lot of imagination um and i think great dexterity when he's playing he also has some really nice held out notes too He's not kind of going all over the place like you would necessarily expect in a free jazz setting. And he's taking his time and development of a solo. I think that's a great thing about this improvised solo is the uh, is, you know, there, there's no necessarily uh, set time frame, set time limit. It's open. Uh, we have room to build and everybody involved in the recording is listening to that and listening to each other and they're playing together even though they're all kind of doing their own thing within the free jazz context and so i want to listen to a snippet of that together and just listen for how they're interacting with each other and how ambrose is kind of building and developing his solo yeah and i think that's before we listen to that i think that's one thing about this composition this free jazz composition that kind of sticks out to me a little bit more than some of the other like modern free jazz compositions is like the amount of interaction and communication between the musicians, I think, is just really cool. And I think that's one thing that um, that Ak and Musire does well is kind of lead the charge through that. So, yeah, let's listen to Max's um, selection here on, on the track. Yeah, I like how he's like phrasing things still like it's not like just one long kind of drawn out thought like there's still phrasing there, which is nice. Yeah, there's phrasing. There's other things you'd normally expect in just a regular um, sort of song or, or composition. And he also later on in his solo uses a lot of great repetition. And I want to listen to another snippet where he, he clearly just repeats one note. But it's in a very meaningful, purposeful way that, again, helps develop his improvisation. And it allows room for everyone else to interact within the group and, and to just follow what he's doing and follow where he's going. It's just a, a short snippet that shows that uh, taking place. Yeah. And I think the drums, especially during that section, 
speak out to me. It's great what the piano and the bass are doing too. But uh, if you listen for the interaction between Terry Lynn Carrington and Ambrose on that track, there's some stellar stuff going on. Even though, you know, free jazz isn't necessarily for everybody, I think what Ambrose does here and the way he develops his ideas is is pretty killer and, and does deserve the nomination here, even if it's not my favorite part of the genre. Yeah, and there's like a few things that I want to point out in some um some spots here there's like one point where they kind of get into this like pseudo swing feel and i want to listen to that section um just because it's cool because it is a free jazz composition but it still has a lot of it's very rooted in a lot of the traditions the communication and then there is some of this the actual swing feel here so let's listen to that here Just repeating one note again. Yeah. Yeah. So there, not only is he using repetition, but that proves the point that it's okay to have a groove or to set a groove during a free jazz section of a tune. Even if, you know, it's not set in stone that we're going to do this at this time and this uh, arrangement we can go there we we can we can emulate a groove in a way that helps move the song along in an interesting fashion and it's okay to implement melodies and grooves and swing and funk in a section of free jazz and go with it and i i think that's a great aspect of the solo as well yeah i completely agree um it's just, yeah, it actually adds some depth to to the free jazz solo there. And yeah, just you can tell that everyone's communicating. That doesn't seem like it's planned out at all. It's just something that happens in the spur of the moment, which is that's what, you know, what jazz is supposed to be. And then um, he does some really cool like growls and extended techniques. Um, and I want to listen to those because I think that they add a lot to the solo and kind of just show us his ability on, on the trumpet. So let's listen. Listen to that. Yeah, so he's just, there's a lot that he's doing there with, he's like vocalizing, humming through the horn while he's playing and kind of just overblowing at times. I just think it's super, super interesting to listen to kind of those those techniques here. And he just, he keeps it super interesting, even when he's playing, you know, sometimes he'll play one note and, you know, what he's doing there is just, it's more about the the sound, you know, that he's getting through the horn than necessarily what he's playing, which is cool. Right, and he's growling using what we call extended techniques. Um, you know, he's diversifying his sound in his approach in this free jazz context, and it it not only helps um, musically move things along, but it's more interesting to listen to because of that. Yep. 
And I think we've come across, you know, free jazz playing before, not only on the podcast, but just in general when we're listening to something. And there there are moments when it you you can tell it goes for too long and they're going on this free jazz highway that's just going into the ocean and 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 it just goes on forever and it doesn't develop as well as this solo and this group does in this setting yeah we've like seen a lot of like especially things that are nominated for this year a lot of times like or just albums from last year like free jazz pieces that last like 30 minutes long and this just shows you that it doesn't have to do that. You can say a lot and this track's just eight minutes. So you can you can do a lot with just eight minutes instead of it doesn't have to be a thirty minute kind of escapade, whatever, you know. So and one thing that does I do like Max kind of touched on this is for a free jazz solo, Ambrose does really manage to keep things interesting with his range of techniques, his communicated dynamics within the group, and his feel. So I think that he just does a really good job of driving through the solo and keeping things interesting and kind of pushing this tune along and getting the group to interact with him. Uh, and I think it is interesting that the entire song is basically one big trumpet solo. And I imagine that that may have played a part in its nomination is that this entire track is basically an, an Ambrose feature on, on the trumpet and one big solo. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and because of all he puts into it, um, and that's what is so uh, interesting about it is you're right. It's it's eight minutes, which, you know, to the general public does seem like a long time for a song. But in the world of free jazz, it's not that long. Yeah. But they give us so much here um, that it that it's worth, you know, it's worth its credit. It's worth the nomination. And, and I'm, I'm kind of uh, more more pleased when I listen to it than I do other free jazz things going on now. So. Yeah. I, t- I totally agree with that. Well, let's move on to the next um, solo that's up for nomination. Next up, we have Gerald Albright on Keep On Holding On. He's a saxophone player, and he's on Bal- Hank Bilal's uh, album, and Hank is a trombone player. Um, this track is very kind of gospel, R&B fusion kind of feeling. Um, and one thing about this one is, I was like a little confused as to what we're considering the solo that's been nominated. Um, I think it's probably the section from like 108 to 135, but it could be the entire track where he's interacting with Bilal. There's kind of like some back and forth, but I'd, I'd have to think it's that section right there, a really short solo section. Yeah, the sax solo is short. I think you're right. It's like 107 to 135. We, we can play it and listen to it. And then at the end of the track, uh, they kind of go back and forth, the trombone and the sax, you know, kind of trading, um, which to me is just uh, an outro technique. It's not necessarily a solo in and of itself. It's something like icing on the cake. And the cake to me would be 107 to 135. Um, I will say I, I have a lot of respect for Gerald Albright. He's a great player, has great technique, great sound. He's a smooth jazzer. It's kind of smooth jazz galore every time I listen to him. But he does it in a way that's impressive, that's interesting. And um, a lot of times when I listen to him, I'm deeply impressed. Yet, when I listen to this solo, I am not getting that. I am not that impressed. I'm not uh, really understanding why this is included in best improvised solo for the 2023 Grammys. I, I, I am at a loss of understanding. I'm confused. I'm bewildered. 
uh, it, it kind of brings me down because I'm not quite getting it, and we can listen to it together here. Yeah, give me one second to, to pull it up. I'm kind of uh, being slow here. Um, of course, but te- yeah, te- I, technical y- difficulties. We yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm late on the, on the scene here. But yeah, it's interesting because I think if it were the entire track, then it would have been um, both of them that have been nominated. But it seems like it's got to be just this short solo. Um, so here we go. You're, yeah, you're right. And in general, I think there's more trombone featured on the track than saxophone. So I, I was kind of feeling the same way. I'm kind of I, I would have maybe thought the trombone would get the improvised solo nomination, not necessarily Gerald Albright. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got it pulled up. So let's go ahead and, and listen to the sax solo in question. And that's over. I think if the what's going on there is cool, but I just don't see how that like twenty second solo. It seems like if it had because he was going somewhere there, and then they do the the trading. I just don't see how that like twenty second solo can be the solo that wins. There's not enough there. Like what's there is cool. Don't get me wrong, but there's just not enough there for me to be like that's the that's the best solo of the year. <laughs> Absolutely. I think he has great articulation and he does some cool stuff with some, you know, more staccato or the shorter articulations that he's doing where you're you play a note shorter. Da, 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 da. He's doing that, which is great. And, and that was, uh, you know, not predictable. That was different. And his sound overall matches the, the vibe. And he's a great player. Um, like I said, I have a lot of respect for Gerald Albright, um, especially when I compare him to other smooth jazzers that I can think of. I won't name names, but Gerald is is cool in my book. I just don't think this solo is enough here, and I'm confused. You know, why should twenty a twenty second solo be in the same category of nomination where we just heard almost you know a five, six, seven, eight minute trumpet solo that's in the same nominated category? Why are those equal and in in terms of quality and um, what we're getting musically? I I'm a little bewildered. Yeah, it just yeah, it seems like we're comparing apples and oranges like and I think if this solo had been a minute then sure like maybe and when he started to get into that last line there and I thought that the solo was going to keep going and we were like really going to get into some more like groovy stuff but then they just go into like this trading section which is cool but we don't even think that that's up what's what's up for, you know, nomination. It's this like 30 second solo here, 28 seconds. Right. And I don't know if they just thought, hey, we should include a smooth jazz guy in the category. And, and this is what they came up with. I, I, I'm really yeah, un, yeah. unclear about the the motivation behind it, even though musically it, it's it feels good. It's interesting to listen to. You know, it's that smooth jazz vibe. And no, it's Gerald, cool. But it's, it's not like. But it, yeah, it's not Grammy cool. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. And I think 
Gerald probably knows that. I don't like to think that he, I don't know. <laughs> you gotta, I don't, yeah, it's, it's cool. I like, I like Gerald Albright as well. And I think that that's, yeah, it's really grooving, but it's just compared to the other ones. It's hard to, it's hard to stack up to some of the other solos when that's what we're, what we're looking at. So let's, let's, let's move on from that one. Let's get into the next one. The next one is, um, John Beasley, who's a pianist. And it's on a track, uh, well, Cherokee slash Coco, which are two different tracks. It's kind of a medley, right? Yeah, Cherokee and and Coco have a, a similar um, vibe and form. Uh, you know, very bop uh, sort of historical tunes we're going with. Very Charlie Parker. Um, his album is Bird Lives, so it's an ode to the great Yardbird Parker. And um, John Beasley is is really kind of a cool cat. He has a he has a group I think that's uh, dedicated to the music of Monk, um, and he also does some radio DJing. and And he's all in all a great musical guy, and and he can arrange and and write and perform and and do all all the things that you could think of that a musician would do. So I give props to John Beasley just as a, a, a full blown artist and musician. It's great to see something of his nominated. I think um, his solo here on this particular track is great feel. Um, there's great lines. There's nice openness to the start of the piano solo. He develops nicely. And it's kind of used as a transition from Cherokee into Coco. Yep. Um, but it's not necessarily, you know, again, what I would consider for the best nominated improvised solo for the Grammy. And I'm not sure. I also really do dig the saxophone solo on this uh, particular track. And I think the sax solo is killer. And maybe that's the one that should be up for nomination. I'm not sure. But um, it, it, it's a cool, you know, minute, minute and 10 second solo. That's a transition in from one song into the next. But I'm not, I, again, a little, I'm a little confused as to why this one has to be the nominated solo. Yeah, this is a really cool album. It's so it's the uh, SWR big band featuring Magnus Lindgren, who is the saxophone player that Max was mentioning, and John Beasley, the pianist. And it's all like Max said, it's bird lives, it's all bird tunes. So cool album. I think it's up for the big band nomination. We're not doing big band, but I think this one's up for the big band nomination. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, I I agree with Max. The saxophone solo on this is killer. I mean, Magnus just like has some really really good bop you know bebop playing and bop lines but yeah let's listen to the the john beasley solo and we can kind of we can chat about it a little bit
And if you don't know, Coco is a contrafact, pretty much, of Cherokee. Okay. So, you know, Coco has the same or similar form and chord structure as Cherokee. And Charlie Parker is known for his blowing on Cherokee. And, and really, when Charlie Parker at least recorded the tune Cherokee, it's not as fast as people call it. People like to call Cherokee pretty quickly, myself included. I am guilty of this. But when Bird did it, it wasn't that fast. And then he, he wrote his own his own melody to it called Coco. So this is a transition from from one song to the next with a similar song form. Yeah. And I think it's cool. We're getting a lot from from John Beasley here. I like the texture at the beginning of the solo and then the bop lines and especially that double time feel and the arrangement of it. It is a big band, so we're going to have things be a lot more arranged. I think the arrangement of that transition is is super nice, too. And I think all in all, this is a really, really nice solo. Um, and it, you know, it's it's worthy of the nomination, I think. Um, but I do agree with Max. There's some some really cool stuff from from Magnus Lindgren that might be a little more worthy of the the nomination on on this one. And this is not the only time we're going to see this. As we keep going, there's yeah. going to be other solos on the same exact track that a particular solo is nominated for that didn't get the nomination that I think personally maybe should have. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get into some of those and we'll get into some different solos that weren't, yeah, that were on different albums that weren't nominated at all or, you know, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to kind of try to think about why they nominated certain things or what, you know, what's getting the nod versus other tracks. Let's get into the, um, the next, track uh the next solo which is falling by melissa aldana max why don't you get us started on on this one yeah if you don't know melissa is one of the newer saxophone stars on the scene today she's uh a, a, i believe she teaches at, at one of the top music schools in the country i'm not exactly sure maybe berkeley but uh if not it's 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 another great school and and she kind of has blossomed over the last few years as you know a modern uh tenor saxophone player who has a unique sound. I think she has a very modern approach. Lately, she sounds pretty light and fleeting on melodies, but when she solos, it kind of opens up a little bit and she comes more alive and opens up her sound. And I think she does that here on this solo on her tune Falling. I think it's a nice sound we're getting during the solo, like I said, more open than she was on the melody. Um, she uses a lot of large intervallic movement. It's pretty fluid. There's some nice high note control and sound. And some of what she does reminds me a little bit of Joe Henderson. And there's certain elements of free jazz or spiritual jazz here that's included in this solo. It's not performed quite as well as I've heard from others, but it's um, it's definitely impressive. I, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily re-listen to it on my own, but there's some really cool stuff going on. And I am really impressed with what she does in, in the lower range of the horn. A lot of times, more modern players don't necessarily do a lot when they're improvising in the lower range of the tenor saxophone, even the alto saxophone, um, other than maybe belting a low note or, or doing some sort of extended technique or overtone with it. And here she does some actual nice lines in and out of that low range. So I want to listen to a snippet of that together. This is about 214 to 234 in the middle of her solo. I want to, we're actually, let's listen to the entire solo and then I'll stop it at that point. And then after yours, I have um, a snippet that I, that's directly after yours. So we're going to just stop this a couple times. Um, okay. 
Yeah, and we'll listen, and then we can talk about things, and then we'll get into that that lower range, and we'll point that out. So let's just listen starting at the beginning of the solo. Sounds good. So that's the beginning. I I do really like the the higher range. I think she has interesting tone and articulation. She's kind of like open with her tone, um, especially in like that higher range. She really kind of opens up a little bit there. Um, and yeah, I like that. But then we're going to get into some of the lower range that Max is talking about here in the next next little snippet. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That first snippet really proves my point about the range and the, the movement and the fluidity. She has great fluidity. Um, and I don't know how to describe it, but generally the tone, it, it's like, it's open, but it's a little muffled mm, and yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like we're, we're playing openly and, and freely and we're, we're going for it, but we're playing it in a closet. Yeah, I get, yeah, I definitely get what you're saying there. And I think that's that's not a miking issue or something. That's just her own tone. Yeah. And and her and her embouchure and the way she expresses her sound. And I, I I don't know. I think it works a lot of the time, but at moments it comes out as a nuisance to me personally. And you know, we'll definitely get into some Melissa Aldana at some point later on in the podcast in another episode. Um, because because she is kind of one of the new stars on the saxophone. But I, I just I don't know if I dig it all the time. Yeah, um, I definitely see what you're saying. Let's get let's get into that snippet you're talking about uh, where she's playing on the the lower range of the the horn there. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really that's really nice in the the lower range there. Yeah, and that's harder to do than it sounds. Um, you got to be nice and open in the throat to to be have that mobility down there in the low range of the horn. Um, and I think maybe the muffling might come from how much bottom lip she's using. Mm-hmm. If you roll in, you know, if you roll in your bottom lip in the saxophone embouchure, um, you're gonna kind of get that effect where it's a little more um, ta- tampered or muffled. Um, and you got more cushion to it rather than having an a, an open or more open bottom lip and your bottom lip is kind of rolling out like you get from Sonny Rollins or Gene Ammons where it's a little, uh, I don't know, deeper and tubbier. And, and, and this is kind of a little more muffled. And I think her bottom lip may be rolled in a little bit more than, than I would expect. And maybe just her, her setup, you know, mouthpiece can affect that a little bit too. Um, not as much as some people say, but it definitely can. So I, I think she has a unique sound and a unique approach. 
and it's very modern and she does some great stuff which proves her fluidity in all ranges of the horn yeah i think it is interesting her articulation is and like coupled with that kind of muffled like the bottom lift thing that you're talking about i think it gives it like this you really unique sound to where it's kind of like open but kind of like like you said, open, but in a closet, that's like a great way to describe it. I think her articulation, she's not super like staccato or anything with her articulation. It's kind of round and, you know, and her sounds like kind of open, but closed at the same time. I definitely, yeah, it's, it's a unique sound. She has a very unique sound. And then next, the next thing is I want to, I think this is a Mona Lisa quote in the next part of the solo, but I'm not sure. So I want to see if you see what I'm hearing here. Um, and I think Mona Lisa is like one of the most common quotes in jazz. So I, I think it comes out a lot, but tell me if you think, if you hear what I'm hearing here, Max. There. You see what I'm saying? I heard it. I, I I don't know if it was necessarily intentional, but it definitely could have been. The intervals are the same. I don't know if it was like she does better, better, and then she goes better, better, and I was just like, those are the in- that is Mona Lisa. I don't know if it's intentional though. It might be right. built into like it might just be that might be something that's like subconsciously coming out in her playing. You know whether it's intentional or not. You know, and that's the intervallic movement I'm talking about, and yeah. and it and it does match the context of the song and the approach we're getting here. So I think everything she's doing makes sense and it's musical. Um, I just have certain personal qualms <laughs> with this, just the style and, and the sound, but she's moving incredibly fluid and I, I keep repeating that word, but I can't think of a better word to use. Yeah. And let's, let's go ahead and listen to like the, the rest of the solo. Um, and then we'll kind of wrap this one up. We'll stop there with with that um i think that gives you a really good taste um yeah she it's cool it's like a little bit more kind of like modal like max was saying which would you know that intervallic movement makes a lot more sense like she's playing a little bit more like a modal kind of modally kind of like max said um joe henderson some coltrane kind of feels at certain points there too with the the intervallic movement it's interesting i i you know i like the the band is doing a good job. I, the drums there is, is really nice. They're together. Um, there's definitely a lot of cool things. For me, the style, her style is just not my personal favorite. Um, and this solo is cool, but I don't, you know, in my opinion, I don't know if it really rises to the level of the best solo of the year. You know, if it really has anything that rises above the, the cream of the crop of the field, you know, in, in my opinion. 
I would agree. And and if we're getting, you know, multiple almost free jazz solos that are nominated, I think you have to compare them to one another. And I think we get more from the Ambrose solo. Yep. Yeah. I I completely agree with that. Um, let's let's go ahead and move on to to the next one. Um, the next solo that we've got is actually an entire track. It's a drum feature called the uh, Call of the Drum from the um, the Baylor Project's album, The Evening Live at the Apparatus. Um, it's cool. It's just a a fully drum solo track. Um, lots of work on the toms. It sounds like he probably has the the snare turned off on the snare drum for um, most of the song. And there's lots of kind of Afro Cuban kinds of influences here in, in the rhythms. And it's, it's a, it's a really cool drum feature for sure. Max, what did you think about it? I think it's, it, it's nice. You're right. We're getting multiple influences here. A lot of Tom use, a lot of um, you're right. Just, just verbatim drumming that also employs a lot of nice dynamics. There's space that's used. A lot of repetition. It comes across well to the live audience. If you don't know, this album is a live recording. Um, and, and they them as a group interact really nicely with the audience. And this is another track yep. that proves that. Um, so, so I dig that. But I will say, I don't think it's the best drum solo on that very same record. I think there yeah. are better ones, especially a solo on the tune Tell Me a Story. That, again, it's the same album that seems to me to be a better drum solo. So why is this one nominated? Yeah, I think this one, I mean, it's kind of like we said with the Akamusiri with his uh, solo. It's like, I think just the fact that the entire track is featuring the drums might lead to it getting nominated over certain other things, which I don't know if that makes sense. Like, let's just take the best solo for what it is. It doesn't matter if one track features the drums solely and another track is an actual track that just has a, you know, a two chorus drum solo or whatever. So I agree with what Max is saying here. I think this is interesting. It's cool. Um, but it's hard for me to think that it's the best in the whole category when it's not even the best on the album. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't understand. Um, it is a neat, you know, so it's kind of used like a, like a, uh, not only a time filler, but a, um, a transition in yep. the record. And, and it is a drum feature and Marcus Baylor gets to, to kind of do his thing. Um, so, so it's a, a great moment musically. I just think there are better moments that are literally on the same record. Yeah. And I think it it's worth like talking about, like how are these, like who's nominating solos? Who's like, how are these getting picked out? You know? Cause it just it it kind of blows my mind because there's like there's some good stuff going on, but it feels like there are so many solos that are just left off the table in this category that it's just I just question like who's picking like what what's going on here? Who's picking these? <laughs> well, one thing to consider is the actual process. So initially it's recording companies and the artists themselves that uh, send in their own recordings that uh, were on their label or their own as a as an independent artist, either way, to be up for consideration for the nominating category. And then from there, there are, I think, at least two rounds. The first round is they pick out of all those that were sent in, they pick five because there's five uh, nominees in each category in the Grammys. So 
I don't know. It's it's a matter of what else was sent in. Who you know, you have to be. I think a member of the the Grammy recording. You know, a member of the Recording Academy in yeah. order to vote. So there's a voting process. Um, and and if if you're not sending your own stuff in, or if maybe a record label thinks it's it's not worthy of consideration, they won't send it in, so it won't be up for consideration. So I don't know out of the pool of everything that they have to choose from and vote on what else was considered. So we just have to keep that in mind too. And maybe, you know, more people should send some stuff in. Um, but I I would imagine there were other solos to consider than these five. Yeah, yeah. And I just question who the Academy, like, I don't know who's making these, who are these people voting? I know that they're like musicians but it just i don't it seems like we're not getting the best of the best here so i question i question why not like why aren't we getting the best of the best like what are what are the motivations here to pick these over certain other ones but let's yeah go ahead max i was just going to say one more thing which is the screening process for the grammy awards um they say that they have reviewing sessions by more than 350 experts in various fields that ensure that the entered recordings are, are meeting specific qualifications. They've been placed in the appropriate categories, you know, new age versus rap versus country versus jazz. And the purpose of the screenings is not to make artistic judgments, but rather to make sure that each entry is eligible and placed in the right genre category. So I, I'm wondering who are those 350 experts? What does that mean? What does that entail? Um, who is included in that? And I wonder if they could maybe have better experts that help figure out who is nominated in the jazz specific categories. That's a, a personal um, sort of wondering of mine that may be contributing to this. Yeah, it's we. Yeah, it seems like an expert in hip hop and an expert in jazz and expert in country. Like those are just like how much does a jazz expert know about country music and how much does a country expert know about, you know, like, so who are these people? I guess it, the more there are the, like, you'd hope that there's less, you know, room for error, but yeah, it's, it's, it's super, it's interesting to kind of, I don't know, think about what's, what's nominated here and where, where it's coming from, but let's get into the, the last, um, solo that's nominated, which is from, um, Wayne Shorter and Leo Giovanese, and it's the track entitled Endangered Species from the album Live at the Detroit Jazz Festival, which is up for the nomination for Best Instrumental Album. And this is an interesting track. It's, I mean, this whole album, we'll get into the album more, but just um, a little preface here is that the whole album was kind of put together the same day the set before they went out and played the set I guess they had like a little bit of a rehearsal but they hadn't really rehearsed all the music so a lot of the music that's played on the set is kind of just like a semi-rehearsed free jazz communication between all the musicians um so that's kind of what exactly what we're getting here with this solo it's it's I think Max points out it's hard to tell in my opinion where the solo starts but the way that it's it's categorized as being Wayne Shorter and Leo Gio, uh, Gino Gino Vese. How do you say his name? I think it's Leo Genovese. Genovese. Wow. Okay. My my apologies for saying it wrong the the, the yeah. entire time. 
It's either Genovese or Genovese. Um, Definitely, definitely Italian. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So Leo Genovese. um, I think that uh, Max point out, it's like around like the 13 minute mark that it starts. And it's just the two of them kind of going back and forth and soloing together. Um, It's interesting. It does have some really nice interaction. They're playing really well off of each other. I think it's interesting to note that the entire set was fairly improvised and that does add to the value here is that they're you know this is kind of just them improvising off of one another but it's just another free jazz kind of feeling solo so i guess we just have to compare it to some of the other free jazz stuff that we're getting and you know i think that ambrose in my opinion ambrose's free jazz solo um there's a little bit more interaction different feels um just a little bit more going on with that one than this one this one's definitely really cool and it's cool to see that wayne shorter is still playing the saxophone or was still playing the saxophone at this point in 2017 max what do you what do you think about this one i would concur i i I think it's um i think there's a lot of merit to what's going on musically there's a lot of repetition a lot of uh rhythmic interplay between the members and especially between wayne and leo there's some cool stuff going on i i get the sense that there's some mccoy tyner some cedar walton some keith jarrett and leo's playing and of course we know the great wayne shorter and and what he can do and he's on soprano sax here he's been playing or was playing more soprano you know the older he he gets so um, there's some nice interactions here. Uh, it is. I, I agree with you. It's. It was initially hard to tell when and where the solo begins and ends, but I think the snippet around 13 minutes or so, where it's just sax and piano, is the majority of the solo that's up for nomination. Um, and I think it's interesting the way you know these are pros, so they definitely kept my interest. A lot of great things going on, but I think there are you know, at least one, there is at least one other free jazz solo in the same category for nomination. That's a little bit better. And you spoke of it, Ambrose's solo. So great stuff going on, but it's, it's, you know, it's missing something at moments. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, well let's get, let's just go ahead and, and do our picks and kind of, you know, what we think is going to happen. Um, so, Max, I'll let you go first with your pick for uh, the best solo, best improvised solo. Max, what's your pick for best improvised solo? Yeah, my pick for best improvised jazz solo of the 2023 Grammys is Ambrose Akin Musire on New Standards Volume 1 from Terry Lynn Carrington. So that's the first one that we talked about. I do think the Grammys may go a different route. They may pick Leo Genovese and Wayne Shorter simply because it's Wayne Shorter. And um, and there is a lot in there, and, and they're both free jazz um, sort of solos. And it's interesting that there were three free jazz solos in this category. I mean, Melissa's is, is in and out of free jazz, so that one is not necessarily, but it almost is. So it's, it's there's two and a half <laughs> free jazz solos up for nomination. And I would argue that maybe a bit too much. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, again, confused. But Ambrose is my pick. Yeah, of the five nominations, we get like how much bop is being played? How many actual, you know, like not? I mean, free jazz is jazz. It's still jazz, you know, and so's some of the R and B and gospel influenced stuff, and the more modal stuff. But like, 
we're just not getting a lot of like the actual the, a lot of the language that's really traditional to the roots of jazz. Um, we get it from John Beasley, but I don't think that that solo is all that great. I definitely don't th- th- think that it's Grammy deserving. Um, for my pick for best improvised solo, I also think that um, Ambrose Akamusery's solo on rounds is is definitely out of what's nominated here. I think it's it's definitely the best. I could see them going with um Wayne Shorter and Leo Genovese or they could go with Melissa Aldana I could see either of those you know getting the nod but I I truly think that Ambrose um Akimusery deserves deserves the the Grammy in, in in this category all right let's move on to the best jo- uh, excuse me best jazz vocal album um because I, I, there's some really great jazz vocal albums up for nomination here, which is a, a, a nice twist <laughs> to what we were given with the best improvised solos. Yeah, um, I think this is sorry to cut you off there. I think this is one where the the Academy seems to get it right. I think that they've got all of most of the best. I mean, pretty much all of the five best vocal albums. And maybe it's because it's obvious. It's super obvious with this. And it might be not as obvious what the best solo is, but it is good to see that in this category, I think that they got it right with the nomination. So yeah, let's get into to the first one, Max. The first one is the Baylor project, the evening live at apparatus. That's the um, live album we mentioned where uh, Marcus Baylor's uh, drum solo is included. That was included for improvised uh, best improvised solo. So the whole album itself is nominated for best jazz vocal album. That is because Marcus's, um, uh, I think it's his wife, Jean Baylor. Yeah, his wife uh, is uh, is on that recording and is a member and a prominent member of the group, the Baylor Project. And so this is a vocal album nomination because uh, she's on the album. Yeah. So the Baylor Project is just the two of them. It's just Gene uh, and Marcus Baylor. And so, but at times they'll bring in um, more musicians. The group kind of evolves around, but it, the Baylor project is just just the two of them. But they obviously have a horn section and a rhythm. You know, the rest of the rhythm section here. Yeah, they have a full group on this record, and yep. they, uh, and I mentioned they interact really nicely with their audience. Um, it's it's great to see this included here because this is kind of what I was missing at moments <laughs> for the uh, improvised solo categories. Um, but I think in, in general, you know, we're definitely grooving a lot on this album. We get swing, we get uh, some uh, hymns that have some contemporary arrangements of them. Yep. There's great grooves. Um, there's an emphasis of gospel and R&B at moments. Um, the vocal agility of Jean Baylor is vast. She's authentic. She's flexible. She's soulful. She has very cool scatting that's on display. Yep. And she she has a clear affinity for the great Betty Carter. I love Betty Carter. There's kind of a, a, a degree of emphasis or, sorry, not emphasis, but influence from Betty Carter. There's sort of the Betty Carter tradition. And and she comes from that. And we're, we're going to get into some Betty Carter at some point in the podcast. But Gene Baylor is giving us a lot here. I would say this is not solely a vocal album, but it has to be included in this category because of the existence of vocals within the group. Yeah, and I'd say that this definitely fits in the vocal album because it's either vocal or instrumental, right? Or it's big group. So I think of those three, this is exactly where it fits given the nature of the album. 
um, it's not solely a vocal album as if, you know, like we'll get into linger a while, which is a much more, that's just a, like a vocal album. Um, but yeah, like Max said, I think that it's cool because this is some of the only scatting that we get in this entire category, which is like something that you might expect to see, but it's not done as much now as it used to be. Um, so I do love that we get that, um, from Gene Baylor and I, yeah, this is just a super fun live recording. I think the, all of the influence, the soul, the R and B, the gospel influences, it's incredible. And like Max said, the, the interaction between them and the audience is incredible but also just the interaction between gene and marcus baylor is really cool they're like they're not afraid to like really talk to each other and like have fun on stage there's one point marcus loves to just interject like at random points throughout the the recording and there's one point where he says something and she sings really beautifully she's singing like a melody and she sings the line she says oh hush and or just hush and play the drums or something and she sings it and it's just such a fun moment in the album and such a cool interaction there um so i really really enjoy enjoyed like that aspect of it the energy the the crowd the 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 band interacting with each other yeah there's a lot of great character um a lot of great interaction like you said it's a, a fun recording but it's also musically impressive um and that's important too. And I want us to listen to uh, one snippet. You might have one as well. But I want to listen to a moment of the of the tune "Tenderly," which is a great jazz ballad, straight yeah. ahead. Um, but you know, you can just get a sense of of what she can do from this part of "Tenderly." I also think there's great saxophone playing by Keith Loftus on not only "Tenderly" but also the opener "Our Love Is Here to Stay." He's super swinging. I I love the saxophone player. Um, but let's listen to a little bit of Gene on Tenderly. Your arms, they open wide and close me inside. You took my lips. There it is. Oh, yeah. I should play the drums. Baby took every little part of me. Woo! Yeah. Ah, there. That, that's funny. They hear clip. <laughs> I love when she does that. <laughs> Cause you can hear him. I, he's like hooting and hollering back there, and she's like, "Oh, hush and play the drums." <laughs> <laughs> right. That's just you know, it, it's um, it's a moment of great performance, and sometimes we're missing that in certain jazz experiences. I'll just say that. Yeah, and it really takes me back to kind of touch on an album that we did way back on the podcast was um. Satchmo, Louis Armstrong, you know, Satchmo live at Pasadena. A lot of that, just really the performance aspect of everything and just the interaction. It kind of takes me back to moments there when those, you know, the legends of the music, the big, you know, the roots, the very roots of the music doing very similar things takes me back to that. And I really, really appreciate that here from, from the Baylor project. And having said that, I also dig the uh, array of influences we get 
in moments on this album. Like I, I mentioned, there's gospel, there's R&B, there's also blues, there's soul, um, there's some straight ahead, like with Tenderly and Our Love is Here to Stay. It's just a great culmination of all the influences that come into jazz music. And I, I really dig that about this record. I, t- I totally agree. Um, one thing, um, I love the mix of tracks, like Max said. I love the mix of tracks, especially once they start to get into the set a little bit. It really starts to, to pick up steam. And then one thing that I want to point out is I think that the piano solo on the final track, Only Believe, is just absolutely heavenly. And I think that it should have been nominated for best solo over so many other solos. I want to listen to this solo and I want you to listen to some of that that great interaction, um, the energy from the crowd and everything. Um, let's let's listen to this solo from from Heavenly uh, here because I think it, it definitely deserves attention and I, in my opinion, deserved a nomination for best improvised solo. Just to clarify, the tune is only believe, but you said it was Heavenly. <laughs> oh yeah 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 did i yeah yeah whoops only believe is the name of the tune all right you ready yep <laughs> That's Marcus. Yep. said so much more than a couple of the other solos that were nominated for best improvised solo oh that it i I have goosebumps that's just so good the gospel influence i mean parts of it have like that ray charles gospel feel that r&b feel but then there's also there's a real reverence for blues and jazz playing and bop lines there at certain points too I heard some Errol Garner in yep, there. Yep. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's oh, that solo says so much more than 90% of the <laughs> what was going on in my opinion. And it's yeah, just yeah. I feel like we have to point that out that there are just things that are way overlooked. That's oh, man. That that really spoke to me and I think there's so much feeling and and meaning in that solo there. So it's I it's one that we had to point out. All right, so you want to move on to the next uh, nomination? Yeah, before we move on, I just want to say overall about that album that it is, if you haven't heard this album, you definitely need to listen to it. It is more than worth a listen, 
and I was extremely pleasantly surprised by this album. So definitely take a listen to it. And I think, in my opinion, this is one that we've got to do on the podcast because there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. So I think I think it's worthy of the nomination and also worthy of a, an episode on the podcast, Max. Yeah, I would concur. I like that idea. Um, there, I was also pleasantly surprised, and it has too few listens on Spotify or online. Um, please check it out. I And part of that is a lot of jazz listeners like physical copies. So that could be, you know, people that would dig that album have the CD or maybe there's a LP record version of it. But either way, you got to listen to it. There's some great moments on it. And I love how it opens um, with Our Love is Here to Stay. You know, you got the swing and then later you got the gospel and the R&B. All the influences are there. There's soul. So many moments of soul, soulful playing that I personally really appreciate. So you're right that we'll likely get into it on another episode. Yeah, I totally agree. There's a lot of emotion, a lot of energy, a lot of emotion. It's it's a really good listen. Well, let's get into the the next album that's being nominated. Um, I think a lot of people are going to know about this album. It is the album entitled Linger a While by Samara Joy. Max, why don't you get us started with, with this one? Well, generally speaking, it itself is an awesome, awesome album um, featuring the new sensation Samara Joy. She's soulful yet elegant. Um, some of what she does reminds me of the likes of Sarah Vaughn, and she kind of has a lower sounding tone, almost like an alto, um, yet she's got a great ability. She has a full sound. She uses dynamics. She has terrific vibrato. She's all in all a great vocalist. She's only 23 years old, so she's really just recently hit the scene the last couple of years, and this is kind of her first real uh big album she had one earlier on world whirlwind records but this one is on verve so she's she's on a a top jazz label and it's a great group with her it includes a couple of people that she learned from including drummer kenny washington who i think um was teaching at the school where she taught or where she you know uh enrolled in as a music student the sunny purchase college Uh, in New York. And so I think there's just a lot of great chemistry that goes on in this record. I love what she does with certain tunes, like on guess who I saw today. And we're going to listen to a moment of that. And and in this snippet, she kind of sings a low note and then jumps to a high note repeatedly. It's so effortless. It's so confident. It's so elegant and stylistic. It's sophistication. And I love that about Samara Joy. It's super professional. She knows what she's doing. She's influenced by the right things, if I dare say so. And um, it she just delivers great moments over and over and over again. Yeah, so let's listen to that that um that snippet that Max wanted to listen to from Guess Who I Saw Today. So And the vibrato. I like how she kept that so straight, the tone very straight, and then then started to to push in the vibrato at the end there. That was really nice. Do you hear that, Max? I did. It's very intentional. It's very purposeful. Uh, it's moving. 
It's, uh, again, sort of sophisticated elegance we're getting. It's also pretty accessible. The other great thing about this record is it is a lot of straight ahead. And and she kind of stylizes, you know, some of the tunes in, in her way. And there's some great interaction with the piano player in particular. And the guitar player adds a lot. And, and great drumming from Kenny Washington, of course. But I think the great thing about this album is not only it's it's more straight ahead, but it still displays what you can do with the tradition of jazz. And you can't open it up like she does with her version of Guess Who I Saw Today. If you don't know, that tune is really kind of associated with the great Nancy Wilson. And nobody has really covered it better than that. Um, and I think this is a close second great version to Guess Who I Saw Today for that reason. She also does Betty Carter uh associated tune called social call and there's some other great stuff on this album and we're going to get into it next week but i just want to say it's um it's a pleasing existence or a it's a satisfying moment to see this included in this category yeah i definitely agree i think that this album really gives us all of our swing and straight ahead cravings that so many else, like so many other albums that are nominated and sections that are nominated really lack. Um, it seems like people are getting away from kind of like a straight ahead and swing, you know, the, the standards a lot of times and wanting to do a lot of originals or different things and a lot of the, the free jazz stuff. But it is really cool to, to see Samara just really, get into a lot of the the standards and she has a cool mix of standards that are both really well known and some of that are a little more obscure and maybe not as as well covered so it's it's cool to see her her song selection here um and i think that the band really really sticks out to me as well kind of like max was saying and a lot of the solos on this album are, are really cool and like max said her voice in my opinion sarah vaughn is just obviously her you know, one of her greatest influences, but I also get some Ella Fitzgerald and definitely some Billie Holiday at certain times. Um, but Sarah Vaughn, I think is, is a, is a great comparison. And I think she won like the Sarah Vaughn singing competition or something in like 2019. She won an award from like Sarah, you know, Sarah Vaughn competition. So yeah. Yeah, she did. And the runner up, I think I was told the other day was Kansas city's own Brom Winans daughter, Lucy Winans who is a fantastic vocalist. So oh. Lucy, I, I think, was runner-up in that competition, and Samara Joy won it. Um, I'm pretty sure that's right. If not, you know, something to that effect. And, yeah, Samara is definitely coming from the Sarah Vaughan sort of school with a hint of Ella. I, I see why you would say Billy, because there's there's a sense of, of intense emotion yep. in some of what Samara does. And I'm sorry, I don't know if it's Samara or Samara or for pronouncing it right, um, but we're doing our best here. <laughs> so either way, you I know, think it's Samara, but I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, just in general, she's, she's really incredible. Um, and she also includes a nice version of round midnight and Misty as well. So she's a great balladeer, great ballad singer. And again, she's influenced by just the top sort of, um, tradition, traditional vocalists you you would want to be influenced by and and she's kind of putting her own spin on it a little bit 
Yeah, and I, I completely agree. Her version of Misty, I absolutely love it. I love the dynamics, the vibrato, and the rhythm section on, on Misty is really moving. Um, and one thing is her vocal flexibility is something that really stands out to me, and especially on the tune Nostalgia. We're going to really get into this album a lot more when we go over it next week, so definitely listen to that episode but i just want to listen to like nostalgia just briefly listen to the melody and just listen for her vocal flexibility how much she's able to move you know from one pitch to another and different intervals and just how flexible her voice is let's let's listen for that really quickly hit me as I recall the day I knew that I loved you you passed me by on a starry night how could I forget you were stunning a vision of perfection heaven's very essence that you were a shining star to me lower range yeah. we used to talk on the phone till three it made my mother so angry and when we shared our first dance underneath the moon and starlit sky i knew that you were mine yeah i figured after all this time and all these years this together, section here all the memories made that you would be tired by now it should have grown dull or stagnant but with each passing day there's never a moment i regret saying hello miss how you doing i would like to know you you brushed me off immediately gave me the coldest shoulder i've ever received which made me want to get to know you even more that's when i ran into you at the bookstore yeah, just especially that the bridge there is like just a great display of how flexible she is. Her command, you know, it's just it, it's awesome there. Yeah, it's confident. It's moving. It's um, in the pocket. It's stylistic. Um, it, it's hard to get better than that at certain moments that that she's giving us here. And it, again, you know, we'll get into it, but a great, a great stellar album. Um, you know, first kind of real big album from Samara Joy here. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think that it's just, yeah, it's super brilliant um, for sure. Let's let's move on and let's get into the next uh, album that's up for the vocal uh, nomination since we, you know, we're going to be getting way more deep into Linger a while a little bit later next week in our, our actual um, episode focused on that. So the next album that is up for for nomination is Carmen Lundy's Fade to Black, um which is a a, a really unique um album. The sound, you know, she has a very unique sound and the themes on this album I think are really unique. Lots of different influences on this one as well. Some more kind of funk and R&B influences here in my opinion. Um yeah, Max, what do you what do you think about about this one? I think she displays some nice timbre and range. Um, it's quite contemporary, but it's still quite grooving as a 
you know, generally speaking as a record. Carmen Lundy, you know, I have a lot of respect for for her. She's she's great at what she does. And I love particularly the opening song called China Light. It's got a catchy hook. And I want us to listen to it together because it just displays her blues and inflections that she uses and she's kind of doing it in a sort of modern way so she's using the tradition which i appreciate and then she's doing it in a different sort of um, contemporary groove context and that's kind of what more or less describes this album in general yeah yeah so let's listen to the the melody there Helping me to fight. Yeah. There's also some nice horn lines that are mixed in with varying guitar and keyboard organ sounds at different um, in different tunes later on in the album. And I think just the blues is, is definitely there, you know, when she went, Thank you, thank you. You know, that's that's blues. Yeah. And she's doing it in her own way, of course. I think all of these are originals on this album. Yeah. So She's she's a great composer and, and she understands music in a way that not every singer does. So I really dig that about Carmen Lundy. If you don't know, she's the sister of the great bassist Curtis Lundy. And at one point, <laughs> I remember being in a lesson with the great Bobby Watson and uh, he was getting a phone call and it was Curtis Lundy. Oh, that's great. See, <laughs> right. I could see his name pop up and that's who he's getting a phone call from. Um, so it's kind of a neat moment. It's like, oh, you're getting calls from Curtis Lundy and Victor Lewis. I mean, duh. But <laughs> kind of cool to be around that and and just, you know, be around some of the great leaders of this music. Um, so Carmen Lundy is in there. You know, she she's one of the great vocalists of our era. Uh, another aspect of this record um, is you get to see the different influences on Carmen. I think there's R&B in her as well. You can tell from the from the track called daughters of the universe and she makes some political statements too she has a tune called ain't i human and say her name which is reflective of the unrest of 2020 that went on during the uh, onset of the pandemic and the things you know the protests that occurred um i do think there are some musical cliches here later on when there are some electronic sounds that are used it seems a little overdone or cliche or not necessary but overall it, it, it's a very very um satisfying recording and i think carmen lundy delivers a lot it's not necessarily um my personal favorite but i i think it's worth the nomination yeah yeah it's cool it's it's definitely different some of it's a little more out there than some of the other things in in this genre um well minus the final album which we'll get into um but yeah it's a it's an interesting listen there is the the social commentary there which is cool um yeah it's just one thing is about this album is that like not many of the tracks like really stand out to me and like i don't really like i don't feel like they're super memorable which is like when comparing it to the first two albums it's hard to be like you know 
if I don't remember much of what's going on, I remember so many moments from the first two albums. It's, it just feels like, all right, well, you know, maybe we've, you know, it's not bad, but it's just not quite as memorable as maybe some of the other things in, in this category, but definitely some cool stuff. Awesome R and B and blues influences here and some, some cool sounds from, from Carmen Lundy. So definitely appreciate it. Um, but let's, let's move along to the, the next, um, album in the, the category here, which is, um, the Manhattan Transfer with the WDR Orchestra. And yeah, it's this, entitled 50 is the name of the album, which is because it's yeah, their 50th anniversary. That's right. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Um, I, yeah got, I beat you to it, Max. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course you did. <laughs> um, I think I just want to say, generally speaking, it's a unique sounding group. I think we get a lot of mixture of things. We're getting strings, vocals, jazz rhythm section. There's some horns. The vocal agility is well on display. There's uses of nice vocal harmonies and interplay between the interwoven vocal parts and some interesting arrangements. I love that they do the tune, The Man I Love. It's a great Gershwin tune. Um, A lot of cats like Illinois Jack Cat and Johnny Griffin play that tune. So that's kind of one of my kind of, I don't know, loves is is that sort of tune and that sort of style. Um, They do also a nice version of Paradise Within. Um, sometimes the vocals seem a little too perfect. I don't want to say auto-tuned, but I think there's some really intense mixing and mastering or mm-hmm. EQ going on. Yep. And that would be one big critique of this album. And I think generally speaking, we're getting more musical theater Broadway than straight ahead jazz. And that is interesting to hear from an album that's included in the best jazz vocal album category. You beat me right to the punch, Max, here. I think that I, I beat you to the punch on the, the 50th anniversary thing. Mm-hmm. It, it, this sounds, it's very, very mastered. It's very, like, there's a lot going on here in po- the post-production of it. And in my opinion, it sounds very much more like a motion picture or a Broadway soundtrack to me than it does a jazz vocal album and kind of when i said that we have five really good albums i think that maybe this one it 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 intrigues me as to why it's in the category versus some of the others um it's 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 not bad music by any means and it certainly is jazz influenced and they're doing jazz songs but is it really worthy of the jazz vocal album award i that's that's a question that i i I think is interesting. And one thing I want to point out is is this is interesting is that they've won this award for vocal um, best vocal performance, best vocal album five times before. Um, And like what's going on here with the, the nomination in my, like with the Grammy, the Academy, are we just playing favorites? Like I think in, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. If this album wins over the Baylor project or Samara joy, it would be an absolute disgrace, in my opinion. It would be a disaster. And I could not take the Grammy seriously if that occurred. But we know, know that I mean? things like this happen. And it's and they've won it so many times. Like it just seems like it's kind of this like popularity contest sometimes. They've won Grammys in the pop category as well. So in, like what is this? Is it pop? Is it jazz? Sounds pretty poppy to me. They do a cool version of God Only Knows, but that is literally the definition of pop music. So I don't I don't quite understand what's going on here. It feels like this album is in the category 
but it might it doesn't seem like it fits the rest of like well, everything else in the category is jazz this seems like it's just kind of out of place here it's not bad music it is good music it's cool to listen to it's just it's i don't think that it should be in the category in my opinion and i think it's a little too perfect yeah i I, that's another thing about great jazz recordings is they're not necessarily perfect. They're great and and musically um, on another level, and the interactions are are or should be kind of in the moment and um, human, human exactly. And and there's aspects of this record that are not human. They're antithetical to what I think of as the performance of jazz. And I hate to say that, but that's what I think it is. And I think you're right that you kind of have to be in the club in yep. order to, to, to sneak into some of these categories like this. And the Manhattan transfer time and time again has proven itself as a member of the club. And I, I I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on that. Um, th- there's definitely respect there because they're great vocalists. It's a great group. They've been around quite a while. Um, they, they, they produce great records and great music and they perform well, yada, yada, yada. I just, I, I, at a loss of understanding of it being included here. And I don't, I don't appreciate the lack of acknowledgement when we're considering this album in the same category as people like Samara joy and Carmen Lundy. And the next one we'll get into Cicely McLaurin Salvant. They are on a whole different level. It's giving so much more than this, this freaking. you're right. It's a, it's a pop album. It's it's musical theater, which I love that that has a place in jazz music. But what are we doing? These are not on the same level, musically speaking. And I don't mean that in terms of how great the performance is. I mean, in that uh, we're, we're emphasizing different things. And in jazz, even though some people don't like the label of jazz, including great players, you know, in the tradition and great players today. I know Nicholas Payton goes off on calling it hashtag BAM, Black American Music. And, and other cats, um, Christian Scott, don't like the term jazz. And people, you know, players from the beginning, Lester Young or whoever, Miles Davis, did not like the term jazz. But unfortunately, we have to deal with it as a category, as a genre in music. And and I think that's, that's for a mostly good reason. And for the things that are considered great jazz, this album is not included in what it presents to us in that category. Go off, Max. Go off. No, I... <laughs> No, I completely agree. And it's we're not saying that it's bad music because I think it's good music. I don't think it's bad music at all. I just don't think it is this it's exactly what Max said. It's not representative of this category. It doesn't deserve to win over the other albums that have a much stronger reverence for the tradition of jazz music and what jazz vocal music really is. So this in my opinion, it is a pop vocal album. In my opinion, that's just because you're singing jazz standards does not make it jazz music. And there are yes. plenty of songs that are jazz songs that get taken and put into pop situations and that and music, especially like Broadway musicals. So I think in that is pop music. It's not jazz music. Even though Lady Gaga sings jazz tunes, she is not a jazz artist. And, and that is coming from 
the, her lack of traditional inflection that she could implement and and she's close she's really close but she's not there yet and i respect the hell out of lady gaga i think she does some great things and and i love her relationship with tony bennett i applaud her for getting into jazz music and really putting um recordings out there and bring maybe bringing jazz to more people than other uh pop artists have done in the past I just, you know, there's there's certain things that Samara Joy can do because she studied the tradition and she implements those things in her inflections, in her style. And Lady Gaga does not, or at least does not yet. And I respect her, but she's not a jazz singer, at least not yet, in my opinion. Yeah, she is a pop singer singing jazz. And it's not to say that she couldn't get to the point to where we would consider to be a jazz vocalist. It's just that takes time it takes the the learning the tradition it takes learning the inflection learning about the music and being putting yourself into that situation you know and putting yourself into the music and putting yourself into the jazz world and the language so i appreciate i do appreciate it as well and i think lady gaga's a fantastic musician but yeah she at this point it's she's a pop musician and that's what i think that this is is pop pop music as well but that's you know it is what it is. They're nominated. It's interesting that they've won 10 Grammys. They've won this award five times. So let's just move on before we get any more heated. Um, we both can agree that this one, if it wins, we will rage. We will revolt. <laughs> we will storm the Grammys of all things. I don't know about that. we will demand justice. I'm just being completely nonsensical. I'm joking around. Sadie agrees completely. I heard Sadie... <laughs> You can hear my dog barking, saying, don't do that, Dwayne. Don't do that. I think she's saying, let's go for it. I don't know. Oh, God. Um, let's get into some ghost song by, uh, I think it's Cecile or Sicily. I think it's Cicely McLaurin Savant. She's she's fantastic. Can, can we get into that next album? Please, please. Let's get into to that <laughs> album, Max. What did you think about this album? Because when I listened to this album, I was like, man, okay. I wonder what Max thinks about this. And so, Max, tell me what, what you think about this. I think it's different, and I think this is a very interesting album because of all the different sort of, I don't know, compositions and styles and um, influences and culminations of, of music that we get here. It, it's probably the most interesting album in this category. And I think Cicely is is one of the, the great jazz vocalists of the last 10 years. She's one of the top jazz singers on the scene. She's steeped in the tradition. So there's recordings of her doing, you know, traditional jazz from, you know, the New Orleans era into bop, into, you know, swing into bop, into post-bop. And so those recordings are out there. She's previously won Grammys at least once or twice. Um, her album Dreams and Daggers is awesome. Um, but here she's going a different direction and I kind of respect it and I applaud her for it because you can still sense the tradition in her style and yeah. her approach. And I will say there are some moments on this album ghost song that remind me verbatim of musical theater practice, yeah. like the man, like the Manhattan transfer record, but the way Cicely, uh, Savant does it, it's more authentic it's more in sort of the jazz inflection practice. Um, she still brings the vibrato, even though there is that sense of musical theater um, happening at moments on, on certain tunes on this record, Ghost Song. 
She has an awesome style. I love the mixing of styles that she gives us. And I want us to play a snippet of that, of what I'm talking about, where it, it's it's obviously kind of influenced by musical theater, but it's kind of her way of doing it. And it's more of like what we would expect from a, from a jazz, um, from a sort of indie artist jazz recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll listen to that. I definitely want to just echo some of the things you said. To me, this is like, yeah, it's like an indie alt jazz vocal album because it's like it's got such unique sound. She's like, I love what she's going for. It's so different and it's okay to be different. And the thing that she's so good at is like Max said, she's such a great vocalist and she's so steeped in jazz tradition and knows what she's doing. She can take risks like this and they they pay off and i i was interested to see if max you know what he thought about this um you know i thought max might be like this is terrible what is what is this nonsense <laughs> um but it's it's cool um yeah let's definitely will, go ahead yeah I, I will say it took me a minute to really get into it but you you know even from the start of the record you can tell that tr- the tradition is still there yep and i have so much respect for her and and she can do so much with her agility and her tone and her approach that I, I I ended up liking the album more than I did when I first started listening to it. It definitely is one of those where like just at first listen, you're like, whoa, okay, what's going on here? But when you really get into it, you know, there's there's a lot, a lot of cool stuff that that's going on. Yeah, let's listen to this um this section of the tune obligation that Max uh was talking about here. To expectations which lead resentment what happens when the foundation of a sexual encounter is guilt not desire obligation promises lead to resentment i'd let you touch me if only it would stop your pushing and get you leaving is that desire obligation promises lead to expectations which lead to resentment Mm, yeah i mean there's it's so cool there's like a lot of influence there not only kind of a theater influence but a spoken word influence and lots of jazz as well yep yep and the way the instruments are interacting with the vocal line it's it's superb it's a superb display of um i don't know musical ability and 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 all the things you can do and that was just a 20 seconds of it you know it's like there's so much in there that we don't necessarily get from everyone. And that's a great thing about this album. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think the title track is really cool. Um, I think also Thunderclouds really leaves an impact on me. Um, I think that Max had another moment that he wanted to listen to. Um, What's that, Max? Yeah, the tune Until. uh, I agree with you, Thunderclouds and also Moonsong are great tunes on the record too but until kind of shows sicily's vibrato tone agility and overall approach and so i want us to listen to about a minute of that um of her during the tune until one day you'll meet a stranger and all the noises silenced in the room you'll feel that you're close to some mystery in the moonlight where everything shatters You'll feel as if you've known her all your life mm. The world's greatest lesson in history 
Yeah, just so many influences on on what she's doing there. She is literally floating on top of everything else that's going on in a way that I am captured. I am enamored with what she's doing. Every every moment of vibrato, every movement of her tone, every dynamic. She's more of a soprano, you know, so there's a higher sort of overall tone than Samara Joy gives us. Um, so I think that's neat to just compare uh, the vocalists in their tone and approach. And I think there's just so much style and it's always moving. It's like, again, floating on clouds or you're on the magic carpet, but the magic carpet is not moving at a very fast pace. It's not like you're speeding down the highway. It's like you're briskly walking and, and everything that goes on, you are catching and, it, yep. and you can't look away. It, That's what I'm getting. It's mesmerizing. Mesmerizing. Yes. This album is mesmerizing. You never know what's coming next. She's. It's so, like Max said, you're on this journey, and she's leading you, and you have no clue where she's going to take you next. You know, uh, it's, yeah, it's so cool. Um, There's so much going on here. I really like the tune Unquiet Grave. It's an acapella feature, which I think is really cool. It's the only one in the entire category. Really awesome some elements of free jazz at points, which is the modern thing to do, but in an interesting way. Um, it's cool. I think it's interesting because this album could fit into like some different categories. I feel like with all the different sounds, but I think it definitely is at home in the jazz category here, but I think you could nominate it for indie or R and B. There's just, it's, it's so unique. Her sound is so unique that it's hard to categorize it, but it's, you know, she is a jazz singer. It's steeped in so much jazz that I think it, it fits right in and in the jazz vocal category, especially with the, you know, the construction of, of the album itself. Yeah. And it's unique. You know, I'm never going to forget about this record. Yep. I, I and I, I, you can't say that about every album that comes out, especially a couple of doozies <laughs> we're presented with here. Oh, so, yeah. um, so without further ado, Dwayne, what is your pick for the best jazz vocal album Grammy category of 2023? Yeah, and I will say that I think this might be the hardest one to pick from. Um, I think the three that really stand out to me the most are um, The Evening Live at the Apparatus by The Baylor Project. Just an incredible listen. Um, really fun live recording. Samara Joy's Linger a While, her debut Verve record, awesome all the standards just incredible from her the vocal everything she does is awesome and like we just said ghost song what a unique record those three really stand out to me um but it's just i feel like the two two of these albums they kind of 
got the short end of the stick by coming out in the same year that Samara Joy's Linger a While came out. I think that it's the obvious pick for the the um for that for the for the Grammy. So I'm going with Linger a While by Samara Joy. I do think that Ghost Song and um and the Evening Live at the Apparatus grammy deserving probably fantastic fantastic albums but they just kind of ran into a a powerhouse album in linger a while from samara joy who's also she's nominated for best new uh, artist so that's definitely something to point out yeah and for those who don't know the jazz grammys are not televised so they do them earlier in the late afternoon yeah before they actually televise um most of the big awards but the one award that one of these cats is nominated for is samara joy for best new artist so it'll be interesting to see if she wins best new artist and best jazz vocal album of the of the year um i don't know if she will but she's not gonna win best new artist i there yeah uh, it's just not it's not how the they vote normally i looked at the odds her odds they're better than some other people's odds but yeah, I'd be super surprised if she wins best best new artist. But it's cool to see that she's nominated for it for sure. Yeah, I think the last jazz player to really win best new artist was Esperanza Spalding. Yeah, and that makes a whole lot of sense. And we'll get into her a little bit in our next category. Max, what was your your pick for yeah, I think it's I w- okay. <laughs> My pick is Samara Joy Linger a while. I will say I can imagine the Grammys picking Sicily's ghost song album I wouldn't even be mad I wouldn't be mad either because I I think it's between those two I think it's between Samara's linger a while and ghost song um, from Sicily McLaurin Savant ghost song is so unique that I think those are two great ones I think Samara Joy it's just it's hard to argue with her young career that's blossoming in this this debut album on Verve um but I definitely think that Ghost Song makes a point for that. Cool. Well, we're running pretty long, so let's try to get through this next um, this next category as quickly as possible. I think it'll be easy because we've done most of them on episodes in the podcast. So there are points to where you could listen to those episodes if you really want the in-depth. I think we just kind of run through um, everything that's going on. Let's get into this is the best jazz instrumental album. Let's get into the first uh, album, which is New Standards Volume 1 by Terry Lynn Carrington. Yeah, it's a great album. We went over it. There's great guests, including Ravi Coltrane, Diane Reeves, Samara Joy, Julian Lodge, and plenty more on this album. All the compositions are written by women. Um, if you don't know, Terry Lynn Carrington is working towards recording a version of all 100 plus tunes included in her new standards book, which is kind of like a real book with all women composers. I think the top tracks on this record are circling uplifted heart, Windflower, two hearts and respected destroyer. There's great grooves and great feel. And sometimes it, it, it just, it, the interactions are, are stellar. Um, rounds also comes from this album. So this is the Ambrose, uh, best improvised jazz solo that's included on this record. It's another example of, of seemingly common practice of ending an album with a free jazz composition, as this album does, which can be a little annoying, but um, that's okay. It's included here at least, and it's great playing from Ambrose and company. The ending of Uplifted Heart is also quite catchy. We talked about its mixed meter that's going on. It, it kind of starts with 5-8 then 6-8, then 7-8, then back to 6-8, and repeating over and over. 
and there's great soloing by Ravi Coltrane on the saxophone during that section. And that's one moment I think we should listen to together again here, just to get a sense of, of everything that's going on. Um, yeah. So, so if we could listen to that together, that'd be great. Nicholas Payton started to chime in on the, the trumpet there. Right. It's a, it's a great moment that reflects the um, sort of different things we're getting from this album. Mixed meter, uh, you know, great soloing, great interaction, great drumming. I do remember a couple of the tracks did not necessarily have a lot of direction and movement, in my opinion, like Ima or Ima. Um, it's nice fusing of, mu of music that's going on, but there are moments of stagnation that I'm getting from certain tracks. And I also think one other critique of mine is that a lot of the tracks ended in a very similar way. Why not change up the endings? I don't get the lack of thought that we, you know, when it gets to the ending of tunes, um, we just kind of end them. And a lot of these end the same way, so why not end it differently? Um, and I also get that sense from a lot of pop music today. They don't seem to care about how they end songs. They just sort of end them. And I just wish that they did, or at least gave a little bit more attention or did something different with a couple of these endings on new standards, volume one. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely understand that. Um, I think that it's, in a, it's an awesome album. She gives us like a really vast range of different ideas, different sounds, um, the compositions are awesome. I think that the melodies here, a lot of these songs are super memorable in my opinion. It's a super well-rounded um, album, you know, and so I think the level of musicianship is really great. The arranging is awesome on this album. And one person that really stands out to me on this album is the young flautist Elena Pinderhues. Um, and she's just, just some of her solos are really nice and just really grooving. Um, I want to listen to her solo on the tune Respected Destroyer, which I really enjoy that tune. I picked it as my number one tune on the album. Um, so I want to listen to her um, her solo on Respected Destroyer. And I think that this solo should have been nominated for the solo, the best improvised solo. So let's let's take a listen to to that solo and just um kind of here i want to i definitely want to highlight elena pender hughes because she is highlighted heavily on this album so let's listen to this solo um from her on respected destroyer
Yeah, I just love what Elena Penderhughes adds to this album. I think that solo is awesome. I think that solo, the piano solo that I mentioned earlier from the Baylor Projects album, I just question why some of these solos that just give us a lot, have a lot of development, I just question why they're left out of the nomination for Best Improvised Solo. Um, yeah. I agree, because because Elena's giving us a lot here that's speaks more and she says more than some of the other solos did and i agree musically it's much more impressive and much more fulfilling i think this is musically fulfilling in a way that some of the solos for the improvised uh, best jazz solo were not yeah um, yeah i totally agree i think some of the shortcomings of this album there could be more bop or swing present um but i i you know, I think that it's cool um, still that, you know, the different tracks that they, they do here. Um, there isn't a lot of stretching necessarily that goes on, but I don't think it's super needed given like the the compositions and kind of the theme of the album, which is to highlight those compositions. Um, so there isn't as much stretching in some points as I'd like. Some of the tracks are not quite as good as the others, but overall there are a lot of really great tracks, a lot of great compositions. The playing on this album is fantastic and there's a lot to really, really like about, about this album. I think it's all together, super well-rounded, a, a super, um, super good release from Terry Lynn Carrington here. Yeah. All in all, it is a great release from Terry Lynn Carrington and I, I applaud her, um, direction and her motivation to put out compositions by female composers um and so we'll we'll definitely get more recordings in this sort of style and approach here and then the next um album that's included in this category is live in italy from the peter erskine trio peter erskine a great drummer i think this is a, a very good modern piano trio record it's it's you know piano based drums I appreciate it being a live recording and it adequately features each member. Well, we get some great stretching here. The trio includes Derek Oles on bass and a, a guy named Alan Pasqua on piano. In addition to Peter on the drum set, they do eight originals and two standards. I think Peter Erskine has some nice soloing on, on certain tunes, including old school blues. And there's also great bass soloing. So again, some stretching going on. Another track that stands out to me is called Turnaround, which I really do appreciate. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the um I love how much they get to feature all the musicians. There is a lot of stretching that goes on. And I think Old School Blues, that song just really, really stands out to me. I, I love that tune. I love kind of the reverence for, you know, blues and, and the swing feel there. That's it's really awesome. But yeah, Turnaround, they definitely get into some more, you know, back to the roots with a song like Turnaround. I think that there's a, a solo that you wanted to listen to there on, on that one, Max, right? Yeah, I wanted to, to listen to the development of Peter Erskine's drum solo. There's a great rhythmic ostinato um, that the bass is playing as well behind the solo, and the piano comes in too. So it's great to, to hear the interaction between the, the parts of the other two instruments in accordance with the solo because a lot of times when we think of a drum solo we think okay everyone's going to lay out and the drums are just going to take it for a couple minutes but here it, it's more like it's a it's a chunk of the song and it kind of begins at least in a way that's related to what's going on in the bass 
cool. Let's take a listen for that. So there we're getting a lot from Peter Erskine that we don't necessarily get um, on on most of the other tracks. So I think that's a great yep. feature. And we're getting a lot here. I think it speaks to, to Peter's uh, versatility and the way the group interacts with one another. And I think there's also some great Tom soloing on another track, Con Alma, which is their version of that standard. Yeah, yeah. I think that... Um... There's definitely some good reverence for the the Bob tradition, especially the tunes like uh, the Honeymoon. Um, I really enjoy the closer, which is an ode to Chick Corea. Uh, I think it's super well written in that you know kind of Chick fashion, that fusion fashion. One thing about this album is it feels like the first couple of tracks it kind of takes a while to get like moving, and it's like this newer age kind of like I don't. There's not much going there in the first couple of tracks, and it almost loses my interest before kind of peaking it with with old school blues and uh, and the you know the middle and end of this album's good. And there are points where I feel like this album is just a little bit dull. It doesn't. There are parts where it's just not speaking to me. There are some really nice parts as well, um, but there are just parts where it doesn't. It just feels like it lacks energy a little bit, in my opinion. And at certain times, I just feel like I'm not getting much from Peter Erskine. And I don't, his drumming just doesn't always speak to me. Um, it's really swinging at times, but at other times, I'm just not getting a whole lot from it. From a group that has a leader as the, you know, that has the drummer as the leader, I would expect more drum solos yeah, or more drum features. And we, we get only a couple here that I'm aware of. And you're right. The first two tracks are almost the same. It's new age, sort of almost third string jazz. And I, uh, I think old school blues <laughs> woke us back up. Yes. And, thank God. And it's great that it's the third track, but I would have moved those first two tracks, even if they were, you know, recorded in that order, I would have moved them in the middle of the album or, or, you know, split them up. And I, I think the curation of the album in terms of the song order is a little off. And that's what is attributing to your sleeping when the album is on. <laughs> um, yeah. And one thing that kind of bothers me about this album is 
the energy. It just doesn't. You hear a live performance like the evening live at the apparatus from the Baylor project, and there's so much energy. And it just feels like to me that like the crowd is just kind of dead. Maybe they don't understand jazz. And one of my biggest pet peeves in life, in everything, in anything is when audience members, they like don't know when to clap. You don't know if you're going to clap. If you're going to clap, just clap. Um, <laughs> like there, And it happens all the time here where you hear like these half-assed, half-hearted, am I going to clap for this solo or not? And it's just like, I feel like that like really kind of distracts me. Like, okay, what is going on? Like what, what's up with this audience? Like, are they not really feeling it? Um, and it just kind of adds to that like questionable lack of energy. I want to listen to one moment when it happens. It's on Con Alma. Um, and just listen for the audience and how they react to the solo. It's like this, like one person's like maybe going to clap. If you don't know whether to clap or not, just don't clap. If you don't know what's going on and you're not going to clap, no offense, just don't clap. So don't clap just because someone else is clapping. <laughs> I'm going to go off on a bit of a rant, but that happens all the time is someone waits for someone to clap. It's like, yep. if you don't, if you're not enjoying it, then don't clap. You can clap whenever the frick you want, but don't just yep. clap because of the end of the solo. And that's like, that's like the thing to do. All right. We're going to listen to that. When it's like the end of a solo, someone's like, Oh, we got to clap. The rest of the everyone's like, we're not clapping. All right. I don't know. Are we clapping? <laughs> so, I refuse to clap. Yeah. Um, um, so this is just one of those interesting moments where it's like, is the audience, what's going on here with this audience? So let's, let's listen to it here at the end of the solo. Three claps. <laughs> Did like uh, part of that? Part of that is that it's a bass solo. You don't always get claps after a bass solo. Well, that's ridiculous. I know it is ridiculous. You should clap, um, but yeah, that's well. Just clap if you like. I mean, it, I don't. It's like this weird, awkward moment where it's like one person's clapping. Yeah, three exactly. times. Because in their mind, they think, "Okay, we should clap," even yeah. though maybe the solo didn't speak to them. Yeah. And, and and yeah, you got a question, am I going to clap or or should I not if if nobody's doing it, just you know, it's okay to to not clap after every single solo. I mean, we appreciate it. I like clapping after every solo. Um but hopefully the solo spoke to me. I like it when it's what, genuine. When it, like yeah, exactly. when one person claps three times, I'm like Oh man, what the what did I do wrong? Like <laughs> right. I got three pity claps from one dude. <laughs> it's a it's a pity clap. You're right. It's so, a pity clap. I don't, and it feels like this audience, they're just clapping to clap. That's one thing too. It's like I like clapping after solos, but I like some energy, like uh oh, like you know, like when so that's one of my biggest pet peeves is like well, when that, pe people don't, you know, they're just clapping. Well, that depends on the solo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean it, it, it it's 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 partly audience partly solo partly what did you say partly instrumentation you know was it bass versus drums versus sax versus piano um and how did that all interact with one another and so we get awkward moments like that yeah that seems to happen that seems to contribute to my question question about the energy in this album which it sometimes is good and other times it just feels a little little stagnant and dull but let's let's go ahead and move on from that one let's get into the next few um, two of the next three we've already done, so we're not going to get super in-depth with them if you want to really get in-depth. 
we'll listen go ahead and listen to our our reviews our our episodes on those so this is one of those um long gone by joshua redmond brad Meldow, christian mcbride and brian blade but uh joshua redmond is the the leader of the group max uh what do you think about this recording just kind of briefly since we've really gone into to yeah, I, I just want to say we went into it extensively on episode 19 of the Jazz Jam, so check yep. that out if you really want to hear us dig in on this album. I think generally it's a pretty decent record. Three of the tracks speak really well. Those are Long Gone, Rejoice, and Disco Ears, but I think the other three tracks are less than satisfactory. They're yep. taking a, a more modern approach. Um, they're, they're, there's not much of an emphasis on great improvisation even though there are moments of it i i think the the tune statuesque is probably the worst track that's included not only on the album but in this category and i i, I hate to be so blunt about that but i think you know there's just some things going on in this album that people are not going to be necessarily impressed by and i know that because i was talking about this album with a drummer that I know that's, um, you know, a, a great musician and, and he's he's still in school and developing. But he said he listened to this album long gone and he said he wasn't really impressed by it. And so that begs the question, why is it included in the nomination of this category other than the great musicians themselves being yep. on it? Christian McBride being one of them who is constantly nominated and I think mostly rightly so. For the Grammy nomination, whether it's um, you know best instrumental album, best big band, he's got his big band, he's got his his other group, New John, he's got uh, Inside Straight, and he's on other people's albums as well. So he's won quite a bit, and this might be included here solely because he and Joshua Redman and Brad Meldow and Brian Blade and, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great cast who yeah. all have won Grammys in their own right over and over and over again. Joshua Redman included, who since 2017 has been nominated almost every single year. Yep. And I am begging the question that you were getting at earlier. Why is this continuing to happen? Continuing to happen. There's repeat after repeat after repeat of the same people nominated over and over and over again, just like we were getting out with the Manhattan transfer. And I wonder if there's better, better, um, you know, recordings to, um, diversify those who are winning these Grammys and especially in the jazz category, you'll see that a little bit with pop, you know, two years in a row, three years in a row, and then they kind of fizzle and then their, their, their career, you know, takes a backseat to somebody else's and then it reemerges, you know, 10 years later, and then they get nominated again and win again. But in jazz, it just seems like the same five or six people are nominated over and over and over and over again. They might skip a year on, on somebody, but then their next album is for sure going to be going to be nominated. And I'm tired of the same people getting nominated over and over and over again. There have to be a, di a diverse selection of people. And I'm not talking about skin color or background or ethnicity or, um, you know, all those things we want to diversify a workforce with and a police force with and, a, and our jazz band with. You know, we, we want we want to have a, a diverse population. But I'm literally talking about just different people. And I I am personally annoyed especially the last couple of years with this phenomena. Yeah, I definitely, I see what you're saying. And I think one point is like, 
it feels like this album has some really cool moments and some of the playing's really great, but it's not any of their best work by any means. And it just doesn't feel like it feels like they can do a lot better than a lot of what we're getting here. It's not a bad album. It's got some cool stuff. Some of the solos are really nice, but it's just it's not their best. And I think that maybe some other stuff with some more, you know, some more oomph to it some you know maybe a newer cat on the scene who's just put something out is maybe more deserving than joshua redmond this year not to say that joshua redmond's not great i love joshua redmond but i just think that this album in particular maybe it's not worthy of of the grammy nomination i mean it's not a bad album and if there's nothing better it's you know it's it's good it's good um it's just, yeah, it seems like some people just get nominated solely based on name alone. If Joshua Redman, Chris McBride, or Brian Blade, if they're putting something out, they're probably getting nominated, even when it's not the best they can do. Um, and I right. think that half of this album is is not that great. So I agree with what Max is saying there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Without yeah. further ado, let's get into the next album, which we haven't gone over. This is live at the Detroit Jazz Festival. Um, with Wayne Shorter, Leo Genovese, uh, Esperanza Spalding, and Terry Lynn Carrington. Another moment where we're getting a repeat nomination. Terry Lynn Carrington, her album, New Standards Volume 1, is also in this uh, same category. So <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like there are other people that exist besides Terry Lynn Carrington, Christian McBride, and Joshua Redman. I hate to say it, but James Carter exists, okay? Um, uh <laughs> You know, Lakeisha Benjamin's new album is fantastic. Hopefully that may get the nomination. She's got more balls than certain people like Emmanuel Wilkins, who <laughs> I am happy to say is not included in this category. I think he's making a splash. I think it's great. I love the modern approach. It's different. But I, I'm tired of seeing these same names over and over and over again. Esperanza Spalding, we get it. She's great. I don't know if this if this is at the same level of her other work and and she's got some new great duo album with Fred Hirsch who I think is fantastic and I think that album may deserve the nomination next year but I don't know about this one I mean this is a this is a, a great live album it's got an all-star cast it's great to hear Wayne Shorter um uh, he, he's now 89 years old and he's still being nominated for Grammys I think that's fantastic and uh, we get vocals on this this album from Esperanza they do Diane Reeves' tune someplace called Where. They do it in kind of a free jazz fashion. It's another moment where we're getting a lot of free jazz. I don't understand this movement that's happening where either you have to do free jazz or you have to do some sort of alt-individualized um, alt um, other swing, other than swing sort of record where you have to take either this super modern approach or you have to do this free jazz. And there's little in between. And I am really starting to get upset about it because I don't understand why. It seems like it's a virtue signal for the progression of this music and we don't have to force progression. Progression is natural. Progression comes from one thing previous into another thing in the future. If we ignore what came in the past, we will destroy what comes in the future. And I don't understand this aversion to swing and straight ahead. Don't call it spang-a-lang, spang-a-lang, and spang-a-lang just to call it spang-a-lang. I mean, it is literally a verbatim American art form. The swing feel is alive. Do not say it's dead or that it smells funny. Even though it made a sum, it is still useful. It is still important. I don't understand this sort of 
aversion to it and we're just stuck in this going back and forth to free jazz and then sort of modern lightness that's occurring where we're not emphasizing the swing even though technically we may be doing a swing beat it's not swinging anymore and i i am done i am over it and this is another moment where that is happening <laughs> mic drop from max um <laughs> i agree with a lot of what max is saying there it feels like people to get critically acclaimed these days you have to either have this super modern approach and we've seen joshua redmond tailor his style to this more modern lighter approach than he used to have he used to have a really gritty bluesy sound and approach and now he's going more towards this and we hear it on long gone we hear that kind of that more whimsical light playing from joshua than we heard in the past and guys like emmanuel wilkins it's like you're either emmanuel wilkins or even the guy the cats who can really swing they're doing like this like free they're like pushed towards this free jazz thing which is it's cool and i love some of that but it feels like that that's what's what people what the critics want to hear is like this emmanuel wilkins thing or this free jazzing and i think that um cecile uh cecile mcmorin mcmorin um what's her savant savant Salvant. Yeah. i think that that album that's innovative that's doing something that's different yeah that's yeah. it's not like and she's not doing it's got free jazz elements right and it's got but that's doing something that's different not just everyone's doing this now so it feels like it's not even that different like everyone's doing this free jazz kind of whatever thing and that's exactly what we're getting on this entire album it doesn't apparently they got together they rehearsed a little bit but then they just kind of went with it and that's cool but we could also max and we could do that with musicians we've never met before on standards we don't you yeah. know we could do that yeah. and it could be this improvised fun thing on standards but or you know but it seems like they just went all right let's just play whatever the hell we feel like whenever we feel like it they're all great musicians some of it's really really interesting there are some cool moments lots of cool interaction but it's just as an album it doesn't it's not it's not a great album. It's an interesting live recording to listen to, but as an album, I don't think it's not a great album. It's going to get nominated because of one of Wayne Shorter's final live recordings that he did before he stopped playing. It's got Esperanza Spalding and Terry Lynn Carrington, so it's going to get nominated because who it's got on it, but that I think that, I don't know. Um, maybe that's why it got the nomination. It's just more so for Wayne's legacy than... Uh, than necessarily the the contents of the the album itself that's exactly why i think it's nominated i i think there are certain great snippets and certain moments and i think esperanza especially sings really well on it and she's got her own thing going on but it's it's esperanza's vocals and the fact that wayne shorter exists that's why it's nominated yeah. and i'm i think it there there needs to be more than that so without further ado, do you want to move on to the the last uh, record in this category? Yeah, yeah, and it's one that we've we've covered. Um, so yeah, let's let's briefly talk about the last record, which is Parallel Motion by Yellow Jackets. Um, Max, what did what did you think about this one? Well, we discussed it in length in episode twenty. Um, it's a quartet. There's one guest artist, Jean Baylor. Again, she is twice nominated here because she's on the Baylor Project recording. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> the same names over and over again. It's definitely pretty good fusion music, and the Yellow Jackets has all—they've always had their own sort of approach and style. 
I think this album has too much arranging and there are solely sections and solo transitions that come up over and over and over again in a lot of these tracks. I think it's useful and interesting a little bit, but when you do it again and again and again, it gets annoying. And I just want to go from one soloist to the next. And there seems to be an aversion to improvise as well. There are nice solos on this record from the pianist and from Bob Mincer on saxophone, but some of the Bob Mincer solos are just too dang short. And there are also, you know, arranging debacles, in my opinion. I think Onyx Manor has too many sections to it. It's it's divided. It, it changes every 25 to 45 seconds. It could be four or five different tunes. I do like Resilience and Parallel Motion on there. Also, Samaritan has a great melody. And another thing about this record is some of the melodies are not that great. And my question is, why are you putting so much attention into solo transitions and solis if the melody isn't great? First, you got to have a great melody, and then you build on top of that. And Bob Mincer is great at what he does, and the Yellow Jackets have their own thing going on. I just think there are some things to critique about this particular album, and I hope they continue to do what they do, and you know they'll continue to get nominated. They've been a, a group for at least 40 years on and off. So um, great music in general. I just, I'm not digging some of the arranging decisions on it, and there could be better uh, ways to do it. Yeah, I I pretty much just completely agree with what Max is saying. I think that there's some really cool stuff here. Um, and, you know, some of it's fun. Bob Mincer does stand out at points. And I think that they could have let go of some of that strict arranging and really let some of the grooves that they had going kind of stretch out and have some more actual interaction. Um, it's cool. It's fun. I Is it worthy of the jazz? uh the best instrumental album we'll see i don't know um but let's yeah that's i agree with max there it's worth listening to it's 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 a good album um but is it a grammy album is it a grammy worthy album um i don't know so let's let's go ahead and let's do our picks for um for the best uh best instrumental album. max do you want to go first or you want to let me go first i'll go first okay um I, my pick is Terry Lynn Carrington's New Standards Volume 1, but I'm not necessarily ecstatic about that. I think there are some great things on that album. I just I, I just think there is something missing from each of these albums. Um, uh, it's it's hard to, to, to admit that out loud, but I, I just think that's true. Um, it's like, if you want great arranging, go to Parallel Motion by Yellow Jackets. If you want um, some some different approaches, go to Long Gone by Joshua Redman. If you want some free jazz galore, go to Live at the Detroit Jazz Festival. If you want, you know, just different things that exemplify this music, you can go to these different albums and get that, but you can't get everything all at once. And I'm not necessarily saying you should be able to, because as an artist, you can express yourself in whatever way you feel um, uh in any way you desire and you can you can emphasize certain things about the music in your own way i just think there are just some some sort of maybe fundamental specific things that are missing in some of these recordings yeah with that being said i do think that the album that is the most well-rounded is new standards volume one i think that it gives us the most from some different kinds of sounds and some different compositions and the compositions I think for the most part are really awesome. There are one or two that maybe don't stand out as much as the others, but I think that that in itself 
is a, a really cool fact about New Standards Volume One is that it does it does give us a little bit more, and it's a little it's definitely more well rounded than some of the other the other albums. Yeah, exactly. It's more well-rounded. It's got great intros, great features, a lot of soloists, a lot of guests on it. Yeah. Um, we're dealing with a, an array of styles and, and, and mixed meter and, and all the things that you would uh, find interesting as a jazz listener. Um, I do think there are some issues, though. You know, we're all ending the same tunes. We're all ending the tunes the same way. I think um, maybe some swing, even though there are some small swing sections included maybe have one tune that's a swing uh verbatim um i mean that's just a personal thing you don't have to do that i think in order to be nominated or in order to win i just think you're right overall there's a lot of great things going on there's a lot of improvisation um there's some free jazz there there's some groove there's some great solos so it has a little bit of almost everything um except i do have some arranging qualms but overall, great, you know, great stuff on Terry Lynn Carrington's uh, New Standards Volume 1. And, and to me, that is the obvious pick for this category. Yeah, I think of the nominations, it's very obviously the best album. But I do want to point out some things. I think that there are two albums that we did on the podcast that are definitely snubbed and not getting into this category and that are much better than some of the albums we have here. And those two albums are In the Spirit of and Two, which is free jazz, but it has such a reverence for African music. And it's super interesting. That album is very interesting. Is it my favorite album? Do I think that it's better than New, ba- uh, New Standards Volume 1? Probably not. But I think no. it's worthy of the nomination, more so than some of these other albums. Um, Live in Italy by Peter Erskine comes to mind and Parallel Motion better than those and probably better than the Wayne Shorter album in my opinion I think it's more interesting it's more dynamic Um, and another one is Two Continents One Groove a one that we did a long time ago by T.S. Monk. Where's T.S. Yeah. Monk in this? That album is is killer. I mean, there's some really cool stuff. I don't know if I I think I still might pick New Volume, New Standards Volume One over Two Continents One Groove, but that album is awesome and de- it deserves the nomination over some of these others. Where's that album? What we have good albums that came out in 2022, and we're just kind of picking. We're not going to pick the thing that's really steeped in you know. The tradition, like Two Continents, One Groove, a really fun recording. We're going to pick some of these other more modern, whatever, things that fit the bill these days. And I, I grew up Max. It's kind of, it's a shame that some of those things are, are overlooked. And yeah. I do think T.S. Monk's album should have been included as a nominee. But I would agree, Terry Lynn Carrington's album should win the category, even if that occurred. But you're right. There's there, there's more verbatim tradition. There's also more interesting solos on that record. Helen Sung does a tremendous yes. job when she's featured. I also love the tenor player on that record. Forgive me, I can't remember his name, but he's he's a great cat with a lot of experience. He's not that well known. And that would have been kind of a shining moment to have that album included here because it does feature a lot of moments of what great is playing. What's his name? Jamal. He's. He played on Broadway a lot. What's his name? Yeah, I can't think of his name. I, I don't Williams, know. Williams? Jamal Williams or something like that? I'm not sure. Maybe we could look it up. Let's but. look it up so we're not... Um, <laughs> I, I want to look it up so we're not discrediting two continents. And um, also, yeah, the, the, bass, 
the bass player on that record was also really killing. I was enamored with the bass player. I was enamored with the solos from the tenor sax player. I was enamored with Helen Sung's piano playing. On some of these albums, I'm not enamored with much at all. Uh, I hate to say it, but uh, or at least I am in moments, but not as a majority of the record that we're presented with. Willie so, Williams is a tenor sax player. And Patience Higgins as well is on alto sax. Yeah, yeah, Willie Williams. I think I think yeah, stood I out Jamal to me. Jamal Williams, Willie Williams. Yeah, he's killing. Yeah, I, he stood out. Helen Sung stood out. The bass player was the bass player's name. Did you catch that? Kenny Davis. Kenny Davis does well on that album. We went over it. So if you want to check out our uh, review of that album, feel free to. It's on an episode of the Jazz Jam. I just think there are albums like that, and there are more that could have been included here. And I think it's it's sort of recording academy politics that took place in some of these nominations yeah and i think that in the spirit of in two probably deserves a nomination even over joshua redmond's long gone i think that it is that free job but it has a, it's very interesting and it's very true to Induzo Makatini. like there's just that that record is interesting and it's unique and we're lacking some of that uniqueness here and and i think that that album definitely brings some of that and it and it probably was was worthy more so than than a few of these other albums on on this list free jazz is no longer unique okay we went through that with ornak coleman and eric dolphy that was uh 1960s if you think if you think swing is done for why do you not think free jazz is done for or has already been done is what i'm trying to say if you think blues and swing is old news free jazz is old news too and i'm getting tired of it coming up again and again over other records that are seemingly more interesting and i i I've come to a point where I, I can't speak any longer because I'm going to have an aneurysm or I'm going to start <laughs> cursing or say something inappropriate. And I want to be as professional as possible because I respect players like Ambrose Akimusire. And yeah. what he delivers is all it's saying a hell of a lot more than what we heard on um, Emmanuel Wilkins's album that was doing some free jazz for 26 plus minutes that didn't go anywhere. If you're free, that means you have places to go. So go there. If you are, if you have expression, you have destinations along the way. If you are literally, you know, if you, if you are enabling Liberty in your persona, that means you have freedom to go places. So you need to go there and it's up to you to decide where to go amongst the players you're with. And, and you can develop in that way like Ambrose did and unlike other players that missed the mark. And I think a lot of jazz these days is just free to be free. It's just the thing to do. We're doing it because it's the thing to do. And that is something that I respect about some of these free jazz compositions versus others is that they're actually giving a substantive value. They're actually giving. And I think that Induzu Makatini does that a lot. And that's why he's there's African roots. There's some really cool features in that. But yeah, I definitely... I agree. I think that we've made our point about that. Um, I think that I think our picks are good. I think our picks are definitely, you know, they're consistent. I think we picked all the same ones, didn't we? We did. I just I, I was a little torn on um, best improvised solo only because I, I really think Wayne Shorter will get it here. And I and I did enjoy some moments of the Leo Genovese solo you know, Wayne shorter solo than the Ambrose solo. But I think the way Ambrose develops and creates something unique in the moment, all the different techniques he's using, um, the growls, the sounds, the interactions he's implementing in between 
his moments of improvisation that the other players are providing it, it's it's just another you know level above overall when we're thinking generally about what the solo pro provides us but i i do think there is some nice stuff in the wayne shorter leo genovese solo in that particular um track yeah for sure yeah but so it'll be interesting to see um we'll definitely kind of highlight that that can be the listener question or our like jazz question of the week is we can kind of fill that with um who wins and kind of our picks versus who wins and what we think about who wins there will yeah. definitely be some if some win then there will be outrage from our <laughs> podcast at least <laughs> If um, you haven't so, heard. Yeah, so it's a, it'll be exciting to see what happens. Um, definitely come back and tune in for our next episode, which is Linger a While by Samara Joy. We'll be doing that one next week. Um, but yeah, this has been a really fun discussion, kind of digging really deep. There's lots of cool music and definitely got to hear some stuff that I was uh, surprised and uh, happy with in some different albums. So yeah, this has been really cool. Max, do you have anything to say before we, we sign off here? No, I just think I, I hope people kept listening and and if you have um you know disagreements with us please share them at at the jazz jam podcast you know you can email us uh there's our website you can instagram dm us a few people have done that and we really do appreciate that please feel free to contact us get in touch with us just just tell us what you're thinking of the podcast in general tell us about album recommendations tell us about um your disagreements with maybe our our reviews or what yeah. we've been you know expressing here you know it's, it's kind of like we want this to be sort of an open conversation to a degree we, we you know we want to um self-analyze ourselves uh like we're looking in a mirror as we're talking about these recordings as we're discussing jazz in general um because we're not right all the time no and that especially goes true you know for me and you because not everybody is is seeing our perspective or, or and there are disagreements between you and me we've had and we're going to get into that more i think and i think it's great to explore um the varying aspects of this music we call jazz or at least most of us will call jazz and um i i just think there's a lot more to be done with this podcast and and we we have over a hundred followers on instagram we have over two thousand maybe chiming in on 3000 downloads so thank you for listening thank you for checking it out um feel free to reach out and and just just keep engaging if you if you so dare and we're going to keep doing our thing and, and see where this takes us yeah for sure i think that's all really well said yeah and one great point is if you disagree with us please tell us because we're not the type of people to think that what we think is right this is a lot of this is just our opinion on where the music's at and what's going on in the music and there are a lot of people who it feels like especially critics who are afraid to say these things so we feel like it's our duty to just say how we feel about the music and and we give you know i think emmanuel Wilkins deserves applauds deserves there's good things going on but we need to be honest and we're trying to be honest about every album we do that's the point of our, of our podcast is just to be as honest as we can see the things we like and critique the things that we think could be better so really well st it stated there from max um yeah so super excited to keep keep on reviewing albums um so this is going to close out our, our jazz Grammy nominations episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you're still here, this has been our longest episode ever, I think. <laughs> um, but it's been really awesome. So I just want to close out this, uh, this episode by saying thank you. And this has been an episode of the Jazz Jam Podcast.